0: everybody this is never heard of It podcast i'm sean harwell and you're listening to the show where we talk about the movies that have fallen through our cracks at the very least maybe other cracks as well joined today as always by craig moorhead craig how are you sir
1: i'm doing just fine sean still pulling through uh everything seems to be okay on my end how about yours
0: uh you know yeah knock on wood um everyone here that i know and my immediate and Fairly extended circles. I don't really know anyone that's sick. I know, you know, I have a uh, former professor whose brother was sick, but good news actually, like got out of the ICU, and um, that's great. Last I knew, I was doing much better, um, so that's good. You know, I know there, are obviously, a lot of of those stories as well for people that have gotten this awful virus, but um, hopefully we'll hear more of those. And yeah, just doing our thing. And um, I thought about it, the fact that I have not been inside a building. That wasn't our house in, um, gosh, uh, yeah, weeks now. Yes, yeah. my wife has been gracious enough to do the grocery shopping when we've needed to do so locally. It's kind of a weird thing because you know so much of your life is just building around going places and having to buy crap, and uh, yeah, <laughs> suddenly it just stopped. Like I just haven't done it, and I'm like kind of getting used to it now. So yeah, we'll see. We'll no,
1: see. I hear you. I mean, we we uh, my wife and I both hit the Costco probably exactly a week ago now yeah and we have another week to go on that on that that stuff that we did that time and and yeah nice. yeah it really has been we, we've definitely spent more time outside which is pretty cool yeah whenever the the weather's been good and and like you no one in our orbit has been sick thank goodness so yeah we've just been uh trucking along man
0: and hang in there, folks. I mean, it seems like there's some cool stuff going on um, that would not be going on if uh, this weren't happening, like like South by Southwest. Many of those films are going to be streaming on Amazon Prime for free soon. Yeah. If not at the time that this is released. And that could be pretty exciting. There's stay-at-home film challenges going on with the 48-hour film festival. So people are coming up with cool things to do. And I'm sure there will be more creative, fun Things that come out of us that we don't know about yet. Uh, So hopefully there's a little silver lining here and there. Craig. Sean. I find the silver lining of this show is when people reach out and say hello.
1: Mm, Me too. I love it.
0: Well, would you like to tell people how they can do that if they want to?
1: You know, Sean, that's the best way to make sure that they do. Everybody, (laughs) get out your pens and papers and please write this down. No crayons. Uh, Crayons, pencils, quills, uh, whatever you use, charcoal, Pieces of coal. Some people, you could use a piece of coal. Yeah. Scratch it on your wall, on your prison wall that you're in right now. Oh,
0: geez. Yeah.
1: Sorry. I'm just saying, I'm I'm not uh, not discriminating against any of our audience. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Twitter, you'll find us at Never Podcast. Uh, Facebook, Never Podcast is also our handle. Instagram, you'll find us at N-H-O-I-T Podcast. That's N-H-O-I-T podcast where you can see uh, occasional updates as to our, uh, you know, episode art. Who doesn't want to see that? Right? I do. Yeah, there's enough shots of meals and sunsets, you know? <laughs> throw one of those in there every yep. now and again. Yeah.
0: There's there's absolutely no selfies on our Instagram. No, there will be I Promise I, you that.
1: guaranteed no selfies. <laughs> uh, you can find the podcast itself, this that you're listening to right now, you can find it in many places such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Overcast, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio mm-hmm. Public. And any of the places where you go and check it out, uh, please subscribe. And if you can, leave a review. Uh, not not in all caps, if at all possible, because people feel like that's yelling.
0: It's a good point. Good point.
1: So, uh, that's how you can find us, Sean. How, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what I was going to segue to. How can I find a way to segue to the rest of the
0: show? There is none, and uh, mm-hmm. my brain's a little fried because I woke up too early, but maybe that's the segue because we're going to talk about a movie called Brainstorm.
1: Oh, that was that was a pretty right? good that was a pretty good segue, yeah.
0: But my brain was too fried to actually figure that out immediately. Mm-hmm. Anyway, here we are. This is tea up we're in casual land. I'm sure next week's episode is going to be like a thousand times better than this, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, I think it will be. I have high hopes. Peter Fiedek, friend of the show, has suggested this movie and he's going to join us to talk about it in detail. So today we are going to give you a little background on what this movie is a little bit, at least what we think we're going to get into and the people that were involved in the making of it. There's Very notable story about this movie, which we'll get to, and some of you may be familiar with that part already. I knew a little bit of this movie, but I don't know really anything of the plot, and I've never seen a frame of it, so I'm excited to check it out. It is from 1983, and I'll give you a logline, Craig. Mm, Thank you. Researchers develop a system where they can jump into people's minds, but when people involved bring their personal problems into the equation it becomes dangerous, perhaps deadly. deadly. So that's pr- the, the problem with people is always the people, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I agree. Unless it's machines.
0: Yeah, even then, they're made by people, you know? So. You're
1: absolutely right, Sean. You know, somebody's going
0: to screw something up. I mean, mm-hmm. you know that by now. Anyway, I'm excited to see this. It's out there. It's on, uh, you can rent it on Prime Video, and I'm sure you can find it in lots of places. Uh, would you like to tell us now who made this thing?
1: I'd be happy to. There are quite a number of people involved.
0: Good, there usually is, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's almost never no one behind the <laughs> scenes. Uh, yep. uh, although I'm still waiting for that movie. Be glad uh, yeah. to watch it. Yeah. It's gonna happen one of these days. It's, it's Got to be
0: one computer made this movie. Mm-hmm.
1: That's when we'll know uh, the whole singularity is real, and uh, we can all just shut everything down. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait a second. We are shutting everything down. It feels
0: very close to where we are right yeah. now.
1: Uh, until that time comes, here's the behind the scenes of Brainstorm, 1983's Brainstorm. It was directed by Douglas Trumbull. Now uh, you may have seen that man's name in credits of uh, some of your favorite movies. Uh, he was a big. I have. He was. A, you have, haven't you?
0: I really, really have. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, he's a big FX guy, sort of toward the tail end of the 20th century. Uh, mid to, to to late 20th century. He was one of the special photographic effect supervisors for 2001, A Space Odyssey.
0: Say no more, right? I mean, exactly. you could do nothing else the rest of your life and you would uh, have your place in the, in the pantheon of movies right there.
1: I mean, for real, that movie was in 1968 and those yeah. effects still hold up. They do not look chintzy. It's still kind of amazing to me. Yeah. Well, he went on to become the visual effects supervisor on such classics as Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977, Star Trek, not Star Trek in 1979, okay. okay. And Blade Runner 1982. And I believe he was nominated for Academy Awards for each of those.
0: Should have won, you know.
1: And uh yeah, I mean he was robbed unless he did win. He That's where won. my research uh breaks down a bit.
0: Yeah, I don't know either.
1: Oh, I'm going to leave that up to the listeners. We That's mm-hmm. how we get the, our listeners involved. Now mm, they're yes. Googling something. And now they're, yeah, we got our hooks in you now. Uh, he also directed a 1972 movie, Silent Running. It's a Bruce Dern uh, starring uh, vehicle. Mm-hmm. And most recently, he produced and created visual effects for the man who killed Hitler and then the Bigfoot. Isn't that crazy? that is pretty crazy I have not seen that movie I'm sort of here's the thing with that movie I get halfway (laughs) through that title and I'm like ah like that's a good title and then I switch over to "Ah, that's too much and I don't know how to take the movie because the movie doesn't look like it's like it's bad at all
0: yeah I've heard mixed things but I had no idea he was involved I didn't even know this was like an effects driven movie I didn't know I had no no clue that that Douglas Trumbull was involved so very cool
1: like they, they called out the big guns for this thing. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't I don't know how to feel about that movie. It's something I'm still processing. <laughs> so okay. let's not talk any more about it.
0: No, we're shutting it down, yeah.
1: Okay. Uh the movie was written by Bruce Joel Rubin. Now what did he write? Well, if you're like me, you know that he wrote Deadly Friend in nineteen eighty six, a Wes Craven movie uh-huh. that is not really a great movie. <laughs> Okay. But it's kind of a great movie. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't want to do without it in the world. But he also wrote Ghost in 1990. Mm. Many people's favorite. One of uh, many people. Maybe, uh, I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> uh, mm. As well as Jacob's Ladder came out that same year. Jeez. And he's written a bunch of good stuff. Those are uh, kind of some highlights for you. Now, he was credited with the story, not with the actual screenplay. There are two other gentlemen who get the screenplay credit. The first one is Robert Stitzel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Robert Stitzel wrote Distant Thunder, which is a 1988 John Lithgow, uh, Ralph Macchio post-Vietnam movie.
0: Great title. Never yeah. heard of it.
1: You know what? If you saw the box art, you would probably recognize it. Like, i definitely okay. seen that before. It seems kind of weird that I never actually saw it. But yeah. uh, he has a story credit on the 1979 TV movie Better Late Than Never, which was directed by Richard Crenna, and the screenplay for that one was co-written by the one and only John Carpenter. Wow, okay. But it seems like it's a comedy about people in an old folks' home. Sure. Uh, that may that may require a deeper dive at some point. Yeah. The, the second half of the screenplay, starting right at page 60, was uh, written hmm. by Philip Frank Messina. He got the other screenplay credit. Okay. And uh, he wrote and directed 1998's With Friends Like These... Which, according to IMDb, is about four small-time two-bit character actors, all close friends, who are competing for the same important part in the next Martin Scorsese mob film.
0: Really? Yeah. And okay. it had,
1: like, people in it. Like, like David Strait aired and, and uh, ah. just, it seemed like uh, like it could really be something. It seemed what like year it, is that, do you know? That was uh, 98. Weird. Yeah. I don't think it was a big breakout thing, but it seems like if that's a small enough movie, that could be really funny.
0: Yeah.
1: So the movie was produced by only three people. One of them being Douglas Trumbull. We don't have to go back into that. We all know who he is. I know. Should I? I'm always so relieved when I get to the producing section and there's only a few people. Yes. We've got Joel L. Friedman. as uh, credited as executive producer. He produced and directed 11 other films, but they seem to all be documentaries. And there's mm. very little info on them. Like if you go to IMDb, it's just like he directed it maybe someone's starring in it, and that's it. There's no poster art, nothing else. Like, Brainstorm seems to be the most uh, notable movie, the one you can really actually like sink some teeth into. Yeah. But uh, but at the same time, the guy seems to have been very prolific, especially toward the end of uh, the 70s. Hmm. And then we've got Richard Uri- 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 Uricicic. <laughs> Richard sure. Uricicic. That's how I'm going to murder that name.
0: Uricicic, you, you bought it. Oh, that's, <laughs> Sorry.
1: that's not so good. <laughs> okay. But... He's credited as...
0: (laughs) That was ridiculous.
1: Yeah, maybe. Um, But he's credited as the associate producer. He also shot Brainstorm, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, he also worked on 2001 and Silent Running, Close Encounters, Star Trek, Blade Runner, and The Man Who Killed Hitler, and then The Bigfoot, which I swore I wasn't going to bring up again, but now I have. Uh, So he seems to be a Trumbull guy. You know, mostly working on visual effects for, for a lot of that time. And, uh, mm-hmm. and here he is again on uh, on our Brainstorm. So I'm hoping Brainstorm is going to have a lot of uh, groundbreaking effects going on with all this uh, effects oh, yeah. talent behind the scenes. I'm looking for, for some good stuff here. Music is definitely some good stuff. We got James Horner. Who's coming at us. We're talking about the guy who did the music for Commando, which we talked about on the show.
0: We did. He
1: did the music for Aliens, Field of Dreams, Apollo 13, and Titanic, among a ton of others. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of people uh, know who he, he is. We've got Cinematography by Richard it you bought it. And this is the only movie he ever shot. Wow. Uh, which, which is even more uh, intriguing to me because... Clearly, he knows effects. He knows how to set things up for shots. And he was like, you better shoot this because it's going to be a lot of effects. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to see what this is going to be. Now, the editing was completed by two different people. Uh, we've got Freeman A. Davies, who cut The Warriors and 48 Hours, among others. And we've got Edward Warshilka, definitely correct. Yeah. And Mr. Warshilka cut Harold and Maude 16 Candles and the movie Child's Play.
0: That is quite the trio right there. Yeah. Holy cow.
1: These guys know how to cut a film, and we're probably in good hands. That's everybody I got for you for behind the scenes. Let's get into the cast. This movie has a cast, and the starring role goes to Christopher Walken. He's playing Michael Brace. You might have seen Christopher Walken in movies such as Heaven's Gate, The Deer Hunter, Dead Zone, Batman Returns, True Romance, Pulp Fiction. And that that cowbell sketch from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> that's how we know Christopher Walken. Yeah,
0: that's it though. That's what they only. That's movie really is it. Done. Yeah. He hates working.
1: Oh no, he doesn't want to. He doesn't have to work after the cowbell sketch. Yeah. Next up, we've got Natalie Wood playing Karen Brace. And if you're of a certain age, and I'm not, I want to be very clear. I'm not of a certain age <laughs> that I'm talking about here. But if you are. Then you could very easily have grown up with Natalie Wood being in every movie you saw, like as you grew up. I mean, she was in Miracle on 34th Street as a very young girl. Mm-hmm. Rebel Without a Cause, The Searchers, Splendor in the Grass, West Side Story, Inside Daisy Clover, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, and a whole bunch of stuff, up to and including our beloved brainstorm that we're going to be talking about. So, I mean, she really, boy, she had a long career, even for someone who was cut down a little early which we'll get into in a little bit
0: yeah started in 1943
1: yeah easy yeah and really was always great like i mean i think she's great here on 34th street like how often is it you cast some kid and you're like that's a great kid actor and then they actually end up being a really good actor for their entire lives
0: i mean she she kind of has one of the the most interesting roles in the searchers even though she's not given a ton to do on screen but um, yes just that character you know being kidnapped essentially and yeah yeah, it, it gets complicated. Anyway, I don't want to spoil anything from that. Yeah, right? it, yeah, yeah, If you haven't yeah. seen this 60-year-old movie, but
1: <laughs> <laughs> You're probably just about to get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to ruin for that person who's got it, you know, the Netflix laying on the top of their TV. Mm-hmm. Actually, nothing can lay on the top of a TV anymore. They're all razor thin.
0: That's a very good point, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: okay, that's laying under your TV because <laughs> you tried to lay it on top of the TV. It didn't work. So next up, we've got Louise Fletcher, Playing Lillian Reynolds and Louise Fletcher, you've also seen in a million great things. She was in yeah. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Firestarter, that means a lot to me. Flowers in the Attic, that means a lot to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Our very own Blue Steel from 1990 that we talked about a few episodes ago. Oh, yeah. She was in The Player. And uh, according to IMDb, she was last seen in the TV series Girl Boss. So there's a lot of Louise Fletcher out there for you to go get your hands on. If you want to check out what she does uh and i think you should
0: mm-hmm. uh we've
1: got we've got cliff robertson he's gonna play uh alex turson in this movie you're about to watch <laughs>
0: <laughs> my alex turson
1: alex alex turson he, he talks in very uh, quick staccato sort of anyway uh he first appeared in we've never been licked i'm just gonna leave that title there
0: i'm not touching it yep. played
1: the character shame in the batman tv series he was in uh, Three Days of the Condor. I believe he played Higgins in Three Days of the Condor. He played the president in Escape from L.A. And, of course, uh, for younger people like myself, he played Uncle Ben in the Toby uh, Maguire Spider-Man. That's right. That's our Cliff Robertson. And finally, we've got Jason Lively. He's playing Chris Brace, probably related to Michael and Karen Brace in the movie. Good assumption. Yeah. I'm just guessing. It's all I can go on is educated guesses here. But he, uh, you would have seen him in National Lampoon's European Vacation. Uh, he's the guy who replaced... Uh, oh,
0: he he's rusty. the guy who
1: replaced Anthony Michael Hall as Rusty in this. Yeah. Anthony Michael Hall, Sean, went on to play the character in Dead Zone that Christopher Walken played in Dead Zone in the movie. Coincidence?
0: I don't see how it could be. No, no.
1: no. Yeah. This all ties together but Jason Lively uh, was also in my beloved Night of the Creeps Mm. uh, which I've probably watched more than any movie I've ever seen (laughs) in my life I I wouldn't be surprised if that was true Mm. Uh, so that's what I've got in terms of cast and crew Uh, so I am dying to know what you uh, dug up about the behind the scenes dramas
0: well, there's definitely some drama with this movie, and it's not the, not the happiest kind, so mm-hmm. you, you've been warned. But sure. um, interestingly, this movie was almost completely made in an entirely different way, Craig, in that the original screenwriter, which was Bruce Joel Rubin, as you mentioned, who only ended up with story credit, mm-hmm. apparently was planning to direct this as early as 1973. Oh, wow. So a full decade earlier, he had uh, $400,000 in locations in Indiana, Props, cast, etc., but the investor backed out just as they were going to start filming, and it all fell apart. Wow. Yeah, which sucks, but it, I do think maybe he traded up, even though it took a decade. Fair enough. Douglas Trumbull, Natalie Wood, et cetera. Uh, Natalie Wood had not worked in two years at that time and supposedly had gained around 25 pounds since the last time she had been on screen and went on a crash diet, a crash diet, mm-hmm. It sounded like I said tie-it. It's a
1: little different from a crash tie-it, but I I get what you're saying, yeah.
0: And it didn't quite stick because apparently drinking a ton of alcohol Mm. is is not good for for keeping the weight off.
1: I guess, yeah.
0: Anyway, Trumbull took the cast and a lot of the crew to the Assailant Institute in Northern California to prepare for this movie. Do you know anything about the Assailant, and I could be pronouncing that wrong, Institute, Craig.
1: 1983 was this the institute that was sort of run by what was basically a cult or am i, getting I don't that mixed know. Up with something else okay I'm, I'm probably getting that mixed up with something else
0: yeah i didn't see any cult connections okay. but the first thing i thought of when i was reading about it and it was described as like a retreat center of sorts that focuses on humanistic alternative education and i was instantly drawn to the place they go to in the movie Inherent Vice, which of course is from the Thomas Pynchon novel. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, yes, that was a reference there, but I think it was like something that sprang out of like the um, precursor to the hippie movement. Um, it, there was like this thing called the human potential movement of the 1950s with a focus on mind body connection and experimentation and personal awareness. Ken Kesey spoke there, Aldous Huxley, Joseph Campbell, et cetera. All that stuff was kind of fascinating to me, but. Wikipedia, the page for this, um, also had the information that in 1990, a graffiti artist spray painted "Jive shit for rich white folk" on the entrance, <sighs> and I was like, "Okay, that kind, of, yeah, okay, that kind of tells me." Wow. <laughs> maybe all we need to know. But you kind of mentioned it already. But Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, the Palme movie, Bob and Carol spend a weekend at the Asylum Institute, and of course, we know who played Carol in that movie, Natalie Wood. There's a reference to the Salem in the movie What About Bob? And uh, there's a, like a stand-in for it in one of the final episodes of Mad Men, I think, if memory serves. Oh. And also supposedly in True Detective 2, there's a mention of it as well. So clearly like a big part of the counterculture that I don't really know that much about, but has had a lasting kind of a legacy mm-hmm. in a weird way. So I'm sure there's some people that know a lot more about that place. And I can't imagine that there's not some weird shenanigans that went on there or accusations of weird shenanigans.
1: Crazy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So they went there for research for the subject matter of this movie. But then guess where they shot, Craig?
1: Oh, 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 um, uh, um, uh, Disney World.
0: North Carolina.
1: Oh, that's great.
0: You were close. Yeah. yeah, the opposite of the Asylum Institute. No, they they shot around the research triangle. Duke University was listed specifically as a location, so we can look for that. But most of the interiors were shot at MGM and soundstage. And MGM's going to figure in heavily with this next part of the story, which is the biggest sort of bit of trivia surrounding this movie, which is that sadly Natalie Wood died during the production of this. And in fact, they were on a break in November of 1981 and she died on November 28th. So she was 43 years old at the time, which I swear I've seen pictures of her around this time and always thought she was quite a bit older Mm because that's exactly the same age I am right now. But it's also, yeah, because she's been around since she was four in movies pretty much. That's true. Some of you probably know a little bit about this, but I just was digging into it a little more because I never heard quite the full story of this. And bear with me because it is kind of interesting and it involves other well-known folks. So... She was on a boat trip to Catalina Island. At the time, she was married to actor Robert Wagner. You probably know him from the Austin Powers movies. And uh, Christopher Walken was with them on the boat. Uh, The boat was described as a yacht, and there was a captain by the name of Dennis Davern. Kind of what I gathered is what happened is that she disappeared from sight from everybody else that night. The next morning, her body turns up about a mile Um, from the yacht uh, found by the police, and there was a small inflatable dinghy beached nearby. Mm -hmm. It seems like the details of this are still in question, still in dispute, and just kind of freaking sketchy. At the time, um, Robert Wagner said that he had gone to bed that night, and Natalie Wood was not with him when he did so. He initially denied claims by the captain that he had argued with her that evening, but later admitted as much in his memoir. The autopsy at the time in 83, 81, excuse me, revealed that Nallywood Wood had bruises on her body and arms and abrasion on her cheek. There is no indication as to how or when she got those injuries. And the when is the important part, because if they happened like four days before, that doesn't necessarily create any sort of like immediate motive or a right. sense of, you know, a fight or an escalation. Uh, her blood alcohol level was 0.14, and she had motion sickness pills and a painkiller in her bloodstream, which is not a good cocktail for being clear-minded at the least. Right. Although it wasn't listed as anything that really attributed to her death per se, so the, the official cause of death was listed as accidental drowning and hypothermia. She had been drinking, and the coroner report said that you know she may have slipped while trying to reboard the inflatable dinghy. Natalie Wood's sister finds that odd given that Nellie Wood could not swim and had been terrified of water all her life. Thought that there's no way she's going to get on a dinghy by herself. There were two witnesses listed as being on a nearby boat who stated that they heard a woman scream for help during the night. There was absolutely nothing else about that on the Wikipedia page. So I <laughs> it makes it read wow. as if they were just like, oh, yeah, we heard somebody screaming for help and then just went yeah. to bed. You know, so it's like, well, thanks, dudes. So... I think that's kind of what it was for decades. And then they reopened the case in 2011. The yacht captain by that time had publicly stated that he lied to the police during the investigation, and he alleged that uh, Natalie Wood had been flirting with Christopher Walken, that Wagner was jealous and enraged, and that Wagner prevented him from turning on the searchlights and calling the authorities, I guess, in the immediate aftermath of her going missing. And Christopher Walken, which I've always wondered about, said that he hired a lawyer, cooperated, and was not considered a suspect. Yeah. So either he's got an awesome lawyer or, hope to God, he didn't actually have anything to do with this. There's certainly allegations that he was having some sort of romantic relationship with Nellie Wood at the time, but I, I don't know a ton more about that. Yeah. So the autopsy was also updated um, in the past seven, eight years. And in 2018, Robert Wagner was officially named as a person of interest in the investigation. He denies any involvement, as you would expect he would. Right. Yeah, it just all kind of sucks, the whole thing. It's unfortunate that, it happened to her, obviously. Yes. She certainly would have had many years to, to live out, I would imagine. And it sucks that it makes Wagner and Christopher Walken look a little possibly shady. And who, right. who the hell knows what the truth is. Very well could have just been an accident. But it seems weird that nobody would have known where she went and just didn't see anything. There's only four right. of them on the boat. I don't know. I'll let you come up with the conspiracy theories. Aliens. Aliens. What about the 5G yeah. towers? Those are causing the coronavirus, right? Well,
1: who do you think built the aliens? Oh. I mean, <laughs> the 5G towers. Verizon built the aliens. The aliens. Yes. It was. Yeah, is all from Verizon aliens.
0: So back to the movie. So obviously, you can imagine what this does to a production. Uh, fortunately, Wood had you know finished most of her scenes, but due to mounting costs already, and it was said to have been somewhat of a troubled production. Although I didn't find anything else. Specific about that, Uh, MGM shut down the whole shoot and the sets were locked and nobody was allowed to do anything. Trumbull has stated that he thinks MGM did this because they just wanted to collect on the insurance and just shelve the movie. But apparently, in his contract, Trumbull had the right to have final say on whether they could continue and reasonably be expected to finish the movie, which he believed he could. He believed he could deliver a completed film and still have it appear as if she is in the movie. So it got really messy apparently, and there was like a completion insurance company or one of those bond companies that got involved out of London, and they agreed with Trumbull, and so they pointed up about $6 million in additional funds, but then owned a piece of this movie, Well, MGM apparently didn't even want to release it. They supposedly uh, made it available for offers from other studios and then were, I guess, surprised by the fact that there was a lot of interest in it. I don't know if that's just capitalizing on the fact that she had died or they just expected it to be a good movie or what, but it supposedly caused MGM to change their mind, and his quote, Trumbull, was, quote, they'd look like jerks if they let it go, and it turned out to be a success, So they worked out a deal and did release the movie, although it took two years, right? Yeah. So Trumbull rewrote the script. I didn't know this. They used Natalie Wood's younger sister, Lana, uh, for a few of the remaining scenes. I'm guessing just to shoot from behind her, which is kind of crazy. And they removed two scenes, I believe at least, from the movie that revolved around water, including one where uh, Natalie Wood and Christopher Walken jumped into a pool together. So. Oh, man. Yeah, I think that's just a sensitivity thing. One big thing here is that, I don't know, it's just kind of crazy with these guys that are big into effects. And I had no idea this was even being debated way back in 1981, but Trumbull had originally intended to shoot part of this movie in this new process that he had developed for shooting at 60 frames per second on 70 millimeter. And his quote was that he wanted to make the material of the mind even more real and high impact than reality because... You know, and I think this is true for a lot of movies at the time, whenever there's sort of like a dream sequence or flashback, they use like this like soft kind of gauzy effect and it made mm-hmm. it look distant. And like he didn't want to do that. He wanted it to be hyper real. So, yeah, he was dealing with even like high frame rates even then, which, of course, has certainly come back into the discussion of late with, you know, the Hobbit movies and Angley's couple attempts recently with Gemini Man uh, to shoot and project things in that high frame rate. Uh, MGM was like, uh, yeah, no, we're not doing that. So it didn't happen. They shot those sequences at standard 24 frame rate on 70 millimeter, though, and the rest was shot on 35. The movie finally was released September 30th, 1983, so two years after the death. It hit a small number of screens with little publicity. The publicity it did get was Natalie Wood's last movie, basically. Yeah. Two taglines for you. One, the ultimate experience, which I hate because that's just ridiculously vague. It tells you nothing. The other is the door to the mind is open. That I kind of like.
1: Oh, yeah. I like to do like that.
0: My door is always closed, though, by the way.
1: Oh, you got to keep closed. Yeah,
0: it's locked. I don't even know where the key is. Uh, This movie was also known as the Gordon Forbes tapes, which I think was the title on Bruce Joel Rubin's original draft. And then in Portugal, it was called Projecto Brainstorm. There's a lot of variations around the world of this being Project Brainstorm, which is, I don't know why it, it, it's not that way in, in the U.S. then, if that's where it kept landing elsewhere. Final budget was around $18 million, and it took in a bit over $10 million worldwide in theaters. 1983, Craig. We've talked about before, but on an episode that you weren't on, I believe. Oh. So, well, maybe I we did. That. Do you recall what the number one movie of 1983 is?
1: Three. That would have to be, that would have to be Return of the Jedi.
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, I feel like we've talked about this, and maybe even a couple of times. Um, also, yeah. sort of in those top couple movies, you got Tootsie, Terms of Endearment, Flashdance, Trading Places, War Games, Octopussy's Sudden Impact, Staying Alive, Mr. Mom, Risky Business, and National Lampoon's Vacation. If you want to know more, listen to our episode on The Keep, perhaps, uh, the Michael Mann film. Find out more there. That one came out that year. And I'm sure we talked about the Oscars as well. Brainstorm did not win any Oscars, but they did win two Saturn Awards for Louise Fletcher's performance and a score by James Horner. Right now, this is sitting around 57 on Metacritic.com for their rating system. Janet Maslin of the New York Times, apparently at least liked Louise Fletcher's performance and called it, quote, superb. Roger Ebert, in his review, said, This is a good idea for a movie. Unfortunately, in Brainstorm, it remains basically an idea. The characters take such a secondary importance to the gadget that we never feel much for them. He did say the effects were intriguing, so at least if the gadget is in there, and that's the thing that's the key thing, Yeah. at least hopefully it looks cool. <laughs> cool. Now, here's something interesting, Craig. Apparently, after this movie, Trumbull was like, nope, done. Never directed another movie. He stated in 1983 that, quote, I have no interest, absolutely none. The movie business is so totally screwed up that I just don't have the energy to invest three or four years in a feature film. Movie making is like waging war. It destroys your personal life too. The people who can survive the process of making films have largely given up their personal lives in order to do that just because it's such a battle to make a movie. And in doing that, they've isolated themselves from the very audience that they're trying to reach. Mm. Interesting observation, I would say. Interesting yeah. And so he, he literally left Hollywood. He went and lived in Western Massachusetts, which I believe is where he is still at today. And he said he wanted to escape, quote, the lawyers, the insurance agents, the creeps, probably the night of the creeps too. You know what I'm saying?
1: Night of the Creeps, got to do it, Night of the Creeps, yeah. And it seems
0: like he's, you know, busied himself by mainly focusing on different types of technology for production and projection and and filming things. Um, He worked on the theme park ride for uh, Back to the Future. That's a Universal Studios. So some of those, like, Mm -hmm. forget what they call those movies where you're watching a screen and things are moving. Um, There is a a name for that.
1: Oh, well, uh, 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 mm, you know, a dark ride,
0: a dark ride.
1: I think it's a dark ride. Is that what it is? I don't know. There's
0: some coaster nerd sure. that's like ripping his earbuds out right now and throwing them against the wall.
1: Yeah. Hey, I told you where you can contact us. <laughs> that's right. Um,
0: yeah. But he was also a chairman at IMAX for a while, which I didn't know. Maybe he still is. And in 2010, he put a video on Vimeo um, showing off an invention that could potentially cap the BP oil spill in the Gulf. You know, he said he was not in it for the money, he was just, he had an idea for a way to stop that and never heard anything from bp which is not too surprising thanks bp Mm -hmm. yeah I, i think he kind of kept his hands out of film pretty much completely although maybe you know in different ways that weren't related to features until 2011 and forgive me if you mention this but he did the effects in uh, The Tree of Life, the Terrence Malick film.
1: Yeah, I did not mention that, but yes, he definitely did. Which I didn't
0: I didn't remember. I'm pretty sure I was aware of that, but I didn't know that that was kind of like him coming out of retirement a bit. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he talked a little bit about that just specifically because Malick was like, I want as few computer shots as possible. You know, I think it's for that beginning of the universe kind of sequence in that film, if you'll recall. And so... Um, Yeah, he talked about they went back to sort of some of the ways they used the effects in 2001 and just stuff that just had not been done in decades, which is really cool. In 2012, Trumbull said that he's working on a sci-fi project to be shot in 120 FPS. And in 2014, he developed a 3D 4K, 120 frames per second system called Magi, M-A-G-I, which Hmm. I don't know if that's being widely used or not, but it's it's interesting. Certainly definitely got a passion for the high frame rate stuff and in 2016 he claimed he was working on a feature that would be almost entirely miniatures which yeah please come on yeah. i want to see that and then yeah 2018 he he pops up as the uh, visual effects guy for the man who killed hitler and then the bigfoot which <laughs> still just boggles my mind i don't know yeah don't know how that happened i didn't see anything there but yeah a really interesting career with like Kind of the Malick, you know, George Lucas thing of just this weird long break in the middle of it. Um, so hopefully, some of these other feature ideas that he's mentioned will will materialize and and we'll get to check them out. But I, I I would be curious to see what he thinks of the sort of current state of of these high frame rate movies that Peter Jackson and Ang Lee have made. You know, if it matches kind of what his vision was for those sequences and brainstorm way back in 1981. So yeah, that's nuts. Um, I did not know that that was a thing that, that they were even toying with back then. So I'm excited to check this out. I definitely think, you know, it, it, it just makes sense that we'll be watching it for the effects and hoping we get a little bit of story to go with that. But maybe like phase four, you've got somebody who's taking a, a turn in the director's chair and didn't quite go the way that they had hoped. Sure. I can promise you he was not hoping that Natalie would die during the middle of that.
1: No, no, for so many reasons.
0: So I'm curious to see like what he made of that because yeah I mean if there was an out that's interesting that he didn't take it, and he probably could have and people probably would have understood but he carried on and finished the film so I tip my hat in that direction for that and I'm excited yeah. to see what we actually get and talk about it with Peter Fiedek, Craig.
1: I'm looking forward to it too. I think this is gonna be a lot of fun.
0: Uh, on a scale of Nick Cage, how crazy do you think Walken's gonna be in?
1: Man, you know what? I think I think uh, I think he's actually gonna be very subdued. I don't. I, I think we're gonna get very low key walk in in this one.
0: I'm kind of thinking the same. You know, I don't. I yeah. feel like that's a little early for that, right? Mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, was the Dead Zone the same year? as this '83
1: uh, that this came right. out? You know what? I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, I think that was a
0: big year for Stephen King if memory serves, like Cujo yeah. and Christine both uh, also came out that year. Anyway, yeah, you can use your IMDb's to find all that stuff out. But yeah, love walking, love Natalie Wood. Love running. Love running. Skipping. Love storming my brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm excited to see this thing. So join us, check it out if you got the time. And I don't think you have an excuse right now for not having some time. And we'll be back next time to talk about it. We'd love to hear what you think. Craig, any last words?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, the ride we were talking about before is called a motion simulator.
0: There you go. Yeah. Well, I'm going to simulate some motion and step Mm -hmm. away from the mic. Good night. (laughs)